0: Well, it's a great day here at Fellowship, and so I'm so, so thankful for you to be here to celebrate with us. We're celebrating the one-year birthday of our High Crest campus, and uh, you're going to hear from Jonathan, our lead pastor, over there in just a little bit. And when we conclude, there's all-you-can-eat birthday cake out in the atrium there, okay? So listen up, and don't fall asleep, or we'll take the cake away from you. Just <laughs> kidding. But well, it's an exciting, uh, not just an exciting day, but an exciting week. We celebrate one year of High Crest today. We come up on Holy Week, which is all in preparation for next weekend, our Super Bowl weekend, the Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we're going to be having five services here. And I hope throughout this week you'll look for someone who you might be able to invite uh, and join and, and celebrate with us. Uh, The the truth is, there are people out there who will say yes to an invitation to go to church. They just need you to invite. And so if you can invite them, go to the service that they want to come to. And just share the different times and, and join them there. And I hope you'll celebrate with that. And then on Thursday evening... Uh, of this week. We have our Monday Thursday service and that's the night in which Jesus was betrayed in which he instituted the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate that and really kind of prepare our hearts to keep this whole resurrection Sunday or weekend about Jesus. So I hope you'll join us for that at, on Thursday night at 6 30. So we're continuing our series called To the Cross And we're looking at three times in the ministry of Jesus where he told his disciples what he was going to do in Jerusalem, but they didn't catch it. They didn't catch it. And so it's our desire as we look at this to get it, right? To catch it and to follow Jesus as he calls us to do that. If you have your Bibles, open up there with me to Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 18. And as you're turning, I just want to remind you of the life principle that Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's telling them that there is no crown without the cross. They viewed him as the Messiah, the Son of God and the Son of Man, fully God, fully man. And he was the one who was going to rule and he was going to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. They just didn't see that the cross was required of him. And so we need to realize that too. We need to understand the perspective that Jesus calls us. That there is no crown without the cross. The cross is highly unpopular to us. Especially in a culture where suffering and pain and death are some of our greatest threats to our way of life. And yet, that's the way of Jesus. So let's take a look at it in Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 18. Jesus said to his disciples, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Remember in the past, he was in Galilee and saying, it's going it's to come. We're going to go to Jerusalem and this is going to happen. Here they're traveling to Jerusalem. He said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death They will and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and Flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. We aren't told exactly where Jesus was, but we know that he was traveling with his disciples, with those 12 uh, followers of him to Jerusalem. And he shares more than he, here than he had in the past. Look at the, the detail he gives. They will be delivered over to the Gentiles, which means the Roman authority, Pontius Pilate and the Romans, to be mocked and flogged and crucified. It's really specific of what's going to happen in the near future of his life. By the way, this is Palm Sunday. And so in Palm Sunday, Jesus came through Jerusalem, through a gate in Jerusalem called the Beautiful Gate, or now the Golden Gate. And uh, I just want to give you a little perspective of him going up into Jerusalem, because it, it kind of gives us a picture of maybe where he was on this, in this passage. From the Garden of Gethsemane, you can look up over the Valley of Kidron, the Kidron Valley, and you can see the gate where Jesus came through. Do you see it right there in the center of the picture? And I'm going to now show you a pan from what's behind the, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a whole hill, and on that hill is a Jewish cemetery. That's one of the most sacred places to be buried as a Jew today. Each burial plot is around 80 to 100 grand. <laughs> I don't know that I'll be buried there. But, but they, they look there, and why is that significant? It's significant because when the Messiah comes, he is going to go through that gate again. And they, their bodies will be raised when he comes, and so they will be the first to see it. They get first in line. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, on the other side, the closest I've ever gotten to this gate was this past June when I traveled there and I got really close. And you can see that the gate is walled up. That was done in 1541 by an Ottoman ruler who was a Muslim named Solomon the Great, And he had heard this prophecy in the Jewish scriptures that the Messiah will come through that gate. He said, not on my watch. And he walled up the whole gate. And he also established an Islamic cemetery. This is looking back over the valley of Kidron or the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives there. And he put a Islamic cemetery right in front of that gate. Why did he do that? He did that because it's unlawful for a Jewish Messiah to walk over dead people. That would, that would make him unclean. So he double whammyed it. He walled up the thing and then he put an uh, Islamic cemetery in front of it. And, and basically said, over my dead body, the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem again. And uh, you know what? When Jesus returns, this will not be an issue for him. It won't be. He'll blast through that wall. It won't be a big deal. But at the time of Christ, that Jesus came through that wall. And uh, as he shared what was going to be happening to him, which happened, this was before Palm Sunday, when he came through there, proclaimed as the Messiah, come save us. Immediately after he said that, the mother of James and John came up to him. Let's take a look back at the scriptures in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Okay. So this is a mother's heart and it's a mother's heart for her children, for her children to be blessed by Jesus. One to be seated on the right and other on the left when he comes into his kingdom. But here's the reality. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Can you imagine a parent who strategizes to jockey, manipulate, or control someone of influence? Say a coach or a teacher or an an administrator admissions director of a college, maybe even paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to coax them for... I just can't understand this. I mean, that was the ancient world. We're far more in control of our passions and desires and our greeds and those things that... I mean, we should have outgrown that. And we do have, have. No, we haven't. My goodness. This is just in spades in our culture today. Because family pride, our children, can become gods if we're not careful. We can love them more than we love Jesus himself. And so we got to be careful. Just as, And it hasn't gone away because this is ultimately at its very root pride, right? And here, just after Jesus said, this is what's going to happen to me, you've got someone saying, this is what I want from you. This is what I want for me. And Jesus is no respecter of persons. He takes no bribes and is not impressed by the jockeying for our children or the jockeying for our position. He calls it out personally and publicly. Let's keep reading. So Jesus answers in verse 22, and he said to her, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able (laughs) <laughs> blinded. And it's kind of interesting. The scriptures kind of go to the mother of James and John. But now, guess what? They, they answer with a collective we. So out of the shadows come James and John. And they go, we are able to drink your cup. The problem is, is they had two different cups in mind they had a picture of the cup of, yes, we will drink to your kingdom, to your kingdom. And they would drink, and yes, we will reign in your kingdom. And they saw it all as Jesus in his rightful place. Uh, The Romans kicked out of the land. Again, the Jews ruling in that area and them being people of influence. Those little Galilean fishermen out in Bethsaida who had nothing, just known as troublemakers, sons of thunder, but now are put right in the center of the Jewish world in the Roman occupied area called Jerusalem. They were going to rule with him. They had the angle, drink to the king. But Jesus said, let me talk to you about a different cup. And it's a cup of suffering. This cup if we follow the events of this last week, and we will on Thursday night, we'll look at this, this cup that Jesus calls out. He also goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is what he says to his father. Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, not my will but yours be done. This cup was the cup of God's righteous judgment, his wrath placed on someone Uh, It it has Old Testament images of different prophets who says, and God will pour out his wrath, and, and, and the Messiah will drink of this cup of the wrath. He will take the punishment of God for people. And Jesus said, that is for me. I drink this cup, and it will mean death for me. It's not the same cup you're thinking. And then let's continue in verse 23. He said, you will drink my cup. In other words, they will be persecuted. They will suffer for me. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Before we talk about the others, let's talk about others and the brothers. Let's just go back a little bit because Jesus is saying, look, I'm going, this is going to be judgment. This is going to be suffering. And I will drink that cup. After I'm resurrected, you will drink that cup too. Because this world will resist the Messiah and the gospel. But to sit at either side, that's not up to me. That's up to my Father to grant you. So guys, don't put me in the place. Don't exert your will over the will of the Father. That same will that I'm obeying in going to the cross. Before there's a crown, there must be a cross, Jesus is saying. And then if you just get this whole picture, he goes public with them. And the other ten heard this scuttle between Jesus and the three. And they were indignant, irate, angry, frustrated that, that they asked Jesus first. <laughs> yeah, I mean they wanted position two and it became a ba- major contention And this is all as jesus is going up to jerusalem and all the 12 are falling apart He wanted them unified around what he was going to do And here they were bickering and in conflict with one another And so jesus goes public with his statement and he calls them to follow him Look what he says in verse 25 He called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, folks, this is normal. What you're doing, look around you. This is the normal way of the world. You see it every day. You're in the place you are today because you're following the people around you. You're looking around you at all the leadership principles and structures of the world around you. And you're just saying, how can we do that too? Where greed and power and authority is, are the major values of that style. Jesus is saying, this is not my kingdom. This is the kingdom of darkness. This is the kingdom of man. And by the way, look around you. This is normal, but have you ever considered that I'm not normal? Have you ever considered that normal might not be godly? There's something that hits each of our hearts when Jesus says this to us. When he says that normal might not be godly, and when we're not normal and we long for normal, maybe we're longing for the wrong thing. Because ultimately what he wants to really train these 12 and disciple these 12 around is not personal greatness, it's the glory of God. It's about making Jesus greater with every day that you live. It's not about your system, it's about the system of, of Jesus. It's about the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So look at how he really unpacks this, verse 26. It shall not be so among you. So he's charting out a new plan, don't follow the world. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Boy, there's so many things we can unpack here. The gospel, by the very nature of the gospel, is proclaimed here. The Son of Man came not to be served. The Son of Man gave up his life as a ransom for many. You get the whole picture of God's love coming and living a life we couldn't live, dying on a cross to pay a price we couldn't pay, and rising again on the third day, giving up for us and as we follow Jesus here we go a follower of Jesus follows Jesus that's the easiest definition i can find of a disciple they follow Jesus so then there's three decisions from this passage we've got to make it's a decision to either be first or last to be served or to serve or to get or to give Let's talk about those. Let's talk about theirs. And they're daily decisions. In other words, these are not one and done decisions. We can talk about them today. We can go, okay, that's good to know. But these have to be practices in us if life is going to be about Jesus and not about us. These are going to be practices that have to be exhibited if we want to follow Jesus in all the areas of our lives. Whether it's our homes, whether it's our place of work, whether it's any leadership responsibility you are going to give. Jesus basically is going to say, you are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, you twelve. So the way you're going to do that is not personal greatness. It's god glorify glorification It's in you stepping down from yourself And so we're called to this just as they were called of it So that jesus can be made greater on earth as he is in heaven Let's look at this first one this decision to be first or last Every day I wake up and when jesus is not a part of my morning routine. Guess who I tend to think about first <laughs> hello me It's the first dude I look at in the mirror. I think about me when Jesus isn't a part of my day. Now, we don't run races to be last. I've got an 18-year-old, and he's a senior at over at Washburn Rural High School, and he's he's running the 400 and the 4x4. And when I cheer for him, I don't go, Go, Nathan, finish last! That's not what I do. You will usually hear my voice. Everyone knows when Joe Hishma is at the track meet. Because I'm going, finish empty! Come on! And of all the things to yell as a parent, faster, faster! As if he's not. So in a race, and by the way, I get my Bible, I get my Bible to tell me the reason why I don't scream finish last. Because Paul runs in a way to win the prize, right? So we see that. It's good to cheer for your kids. But here's the problem. If you're going to love people... If you're going to see people that Jesus sees and meet needs that Jesus sees, you can't be first. You can't. There's no way for you to see what Jesus sees and to meet needs that Jesus wants you to meet. If you're thinking of yourself first, there's absolutely no way for that to happen. So in order for you to be used for the kingdom of God, you can't be first. I can't be first. We have to view ourselves as last, In other words, there's people that we're thinking about more than ourselves. There's the kingdom of God that we're thinking about more than building your own career or your own relational structure. We're thinking about making Jesus greater. And so therefore, in order for that to happen, you will need to clear your time and energy and your resources to meet those needs and to relate to those people. We know all too well what it's like to structure all of life around us as if we were first. But how we view Christ and how we view ourselves changes everything. Jesus asks us to step down, to not be first, to be last, to be a servant, so that others can be reached with the gospel and with the goodness of God. Secondly, it's a, second, it's a daily decision not to be served, but to serve. And again, that's another thing that I kind of struggle with each day of my life is do I want people to serve me or do I view myself as God's part of God's solution to serve this world? It's, it's tempting when I go to a restaurant to sit down and have an internal clock start ticking. I sit down, we all look, and it goes off. I don't even know how many seconds it is, but once it reaches that limit, it's just an internal feeling. I go... Where's the waiter? Hey, get my drink. And then, when we get in my drink and my drink all goes to the bottom, I do the waiter call and I put the straw in and I go, (laughs) it's the call for the waiter. And they usually come and do that. We love good service. We really do. Especially, I just noticed this personally when we're on vacation, when we're on vacation, we like to be served. And we value it when there is good service. And when there's not, we take out Yelp and we let the world know. If there were negative stars, I would put it here. You know, we do that because service is such a value. But Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to represent me in the world, it can't be about your service. It has to be you serving. And that decision for you to serve is a daily decision. So here's a practice that I've had to train my mind on. And I'm still a student in, in training on this. When I walk into the house at the end of a very stressful day, and I see dishes in the sink, and I am, oh man, it's clutter. In the, and there's dishes. And the first question in my mind is, hey, who's going to take care of these dishes? Guess what my answer needs to be? I will. I will. Hey, who's gonna who's gonna take care of this laundry? Guess what? I will. I will. Look at the person next to you and go, "You will." You will, right? <laughs> yeah. We have to see if I expect that to come from my kids, or my wife. I know, Yes, some of you will feel like I've taken advantage of you today. But, but yeah, it's, if I look at that to come from others, guess what I'm going to be doing? Not, I'm going to be waiting for someone else to do it. I'm going to be really, really frustrated. I'm going to be really, really angry, because we can't live life to be served and to be about Jesus. Why? Because the Son of Man did not come to this earth and live a perfect life, die on a cross and rise from the dead to be served, but to serve. And so that's the picture we've got to do. Can I tell you, it will radically change how you view this world. It will radically view how you go to church. Hey, I looked and, man, that's not being done. And their children's program and their preacher, he's lost more hair this week. And I just, all these things can bother you. All these things can bother you if this church is here to serve you, rather than you saying, I am the church. I will serve. See, the, the reality is, as God looks at this room, he sees everyone who knows and believes him. And he said, I have given you the Holy Spirit and I have given you gifts and I want you to exercise those. I don't want you on the sidelines. I don't want you watching ministry happen. The more you watch, the more you'll wait and the more you'll pick apart how things aren't the way they are supposed to be. But when you engage serving, then you take that step, not alone, but with the Holy Spirit in your life, with him empowering you and exercising the gifts that he's given you. To serve the Lord, to make the name of Jesus greater, and to glorify God with your body and with all the resources God has given you it can 't be about being served; it has to be about serving and the final decision here is is one to, the decision either to get from or to give to and again, this just plays uh, a, a, it reaps havoc when I go into my world thinking, what can I get from others? What can I get from this system? What can I get from? people. And I would say even in churches, it hurts us when we think this is what we want from you rather than this is what we want for you. That whole perspective there changes things. And, and Jesus really modeled this because the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And look at that, to give his life as a ransom for many. There's something about loving someone that you have to give up yourself to love. Whether it's Jesus, whether it's a spouse Whether it's a rebellious child in their adult years, we have to give up ourselves to love people and to meet needs around us. Lust, by its very nature, is the whole passion to get from someone without any responsibility, to take from others. And we see all the damage, personally and around our world, for what lust will do. That's why love shows up to give up yourself. We've got to move to this church. This is, these are the daily decisions that each of us must make when we follow Jesus. It's a decision not to be first, but to be last. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to get from, but to give to. I read an interesting book uh, called *The Quest for the Externally Focused Church*. It's written by a guy named Eric Swanson, and Eric has done a lot of pictures of what the, what churches can do in a community. And as I read this book, I said, "Man, this guy is just really challenging. He's really convicting me. I want to meet Eric." <laughs> So I don't know if you've ever done this, but I found out if anyone in my sphere of influence knew Eric, and sure enough, out in, out in Colorado, I had some pastor friends who knew Eric, and they linked us up, and I got a call with Eric, and, and eventually Eric came here, and now we're friends. And, and this book, though, that he wrote several years ago really challenged me to take these commands of Jesus and to live them out in leadership as a church family. And one of the key pivotal statements Eric Swanson said in his book is, instead of asking how can we be the best church in the community, he said a better question is is how can we be a, the best church for our community? See, if I'm focused on being the best church in our com- community, then it's all going to be about how are we doing in comparison to that church. And it's all going to be are we doing ministry and children's ministry and student ministry better than the churches around us? And that's not a great question. That'll keep you competitive that'll be, make you resentful, especially when another church is doing something better than you're doing it. It will make you insecure. So better question is, is how can we be the best church for our community? How can we serve our community in a way that even if they don't believe in Jesus, they value, they value what we're doing. This radically changed how we've done, and it it moved us to have, really be intentional about some shifts here. And ultimately, what this has culminated us is not just being in the High Crest community, but planting a church in the High Crest community, and, and really thinking about community development in that area. I want to share with you some of the shifts in our thinking that when we made these shifts, God really became greater in our lives and in our city. And the first one is this. The move from significance to service. We had to say, look, it's not going to be about Fellowship Bible Church. Our brand, our, our church, it's, it's not going to be even our culture that we want to be known for. We want to be known for serving Jesus, however that looks, and wherever he takes us. We want to come with a posture of how can we serve our city and serve people? How can we come alongside and, and, and pray with them and help them and love them through whatever they're going through? And God has entrusted us with more people as we have been more focused on service than significance. Secondly, we've moved from leading to learning. And by that, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm sharing this with you, but I'm just going vulnerable here. I used to think that we needed to be in these places because we had what those places need. And so we just got to go to those places and offer what we have because we have a better way. We have a better system. We have more resources for them. And that is tempting on the outside until you show up and you start caring for people. And you realize you don't have anything. You don't have anything. You can do band-aids. But the root issue is far greater than any one church or any one person can do. And so it moved us into a position of learning. And that required us to listen. To go in and before we bought a plan, to listen. And to ask people what they needed. Not to tell them what they needed that we had. But to sit down and listen. Listen to those lives that were messy and broken and so unlike our reality That it would almost shock us. But then we had to listen. And we had to listen and not walk away, but listen and draw near. We had to listen and affirm where they were and encourage people where they were. I've realized that, my goodness, God has taught me so much over this past year. You're going to hear from Jonathan Sublett in just a few minutes. But even, even me understanding the race issue, it's taken Jonathan to have so much patience with me. Because I, as I read the book, White Fragility, I just think about how fragile I was for anyone to address race issues that weren't my, my reality. And yet, they were my reality. So I've learned so much by just, instead of moving from a, a, I'm going to make the difference here to be more of a learner in this process. And the final one is moving from distant to present. You know, there are so many sound bites as you look at the world around you. There's so many sound bites of this is the problem with the world and this is the solution, this is what's the problem with them and those people, and both sides of the aisle in our government do that. And it's it's just making things so simplistically crazy. And what we need are people to move into the neighborhood. I mean, Jesus did not stay in heaven, but he humbled himself, taking on human likeness and living and dying and rising for us. And so what, what to really serve our city, some of us have had to move into the neighborhood, and we have. Jonathan and his wife, uh, Trisha said, we're going to move right into Highcrest when we look for a home, when we move from Houston here, and they did. Jeremy and Paige Wynn moved right into Highcrest and live there right now. Another couple, Tim and Andrea Vincent, moved into the Highcrest area because being present is a witness that God wants with us. We don't stay and hurl preacher, preacher messages at people. We live with them. And that's changing us. So I want you to hear from Jonathan. He's, as we celebrate Highcrest being there uh, one year, he's going to share some stories about what's happening there. And I want you just to look for these themes of what we just talked about on showing up to serve rather than seeking to be served. Would you welcome Jonathan with me?
1: Good morning, fellowship. There's still no one at this service did it. I was expecting someone to stand up and do a dance move and point at Joe and say, you just got served. But nobody did it of all the times. Thinking back to that first night of Rooted, I was close to leaving. The comfort zone maxed out, the brokenness overwhelming, the feeling of being alone, the voice in my head telling me to leave. I think I ran into you out in the hallway during the dinner portion of family dinner. And everything in me, a war was raging. Wow. I went back in and sat down and I couldn't even eat that night. I felt so ill and and was soon joined by my now fellow brothers and sisters. One of my favorite times now is family dinner, getting there early, watching the familiar, the unfamiliar, seeing the hugs and the the laughter and the handshakes, the tears, the coming together and and experiencing it and seeing it and being a part of it is awesome. I got to tell my story just yesterday and hand out a high crest card, and, and I'm hoping to bring more with me. That was a message I received from Ron Reese One of our rooted facilitators and now small group leaders. When I initially met Ron, him and his wife were separated with no hope of reconciliation. His wife attended High Crest from pretty much our lunch service. And she heard about us because she teaches at a elementary school pretty close to our campus. And while she was attending, she heard about the summer stream program that our non religious nonprofit sent was going to be doing that summer. It's a program that focuses on science, technology, reading, engineering, arts, and mathematics. During that program, we also partnered with Christ First Counseling to offer those 150 students who were a part of the program emotional resilience training. During the program, the kids dissected pig hearts, learned 3D computer programming, circuits, launched rockets, culinary arts, digital photography, uh, pottery, and robotics, just to name a few things. And at the end of the summer program, the Highcrest campus partnered with Sint by throwing a celebration for all the volunteers and families that were involved with the summer program. Now, since um, his son was in the program, his wife invited Run to be a part of the celebration. And since the celebration was right after service, Run came to service and he came back the next week and the next week and the next week. And while he was coming, he heard stories of Rooted and saw videos of this thing called Rooted and decided to sign up. And on that first night of Rooted, he met both Paul and Mark, whose marriages were also falling apart. It was in this group that these guys found community and God restored their hope. They started Rooted thinking and feeling all alone with no promises of anything changes, but they had a desire to see change in their own lives and to see the legacies of their families transform. At different points, all of them wanted to give up, like when Paul had to attend the initial trial or, or hearing for his divorce. Or There were times when Mark thought, what's the use in all of this? Why continue to keep going? But they had God. They had a church home. Then they had each other. They had a rooted group that still believed when others had given them the okay to give up. You know, it's our goal that every rooted group would birth a small group. And this rooted group failed to meet that goal. They failed to meet that goal because almost every man in this group took on some kind of leadership role after graduating rooted. You can clap for that. It's all right. (laughs) Run led a rooted group this spring and is now leading a small group. His marriage was reconciled. His adult daughter and adult niece both completed rooted and were baptized as a result. His wife now co-leads our child care team. And he continues to share his story wherever he goes, hoping that others will find a home in Christ's church, just like he's found. Paul and Simone's marriage was reconciled. They now serve on our connections team. They help lead our Ross Elementary and Eisenhower Middle School adoption teams. And this spring, they went back through rooted, not as individuals, but as a couple. Now, Mark's marriage hasn't reconciled. But we continue to believe, we continue to pray, we continue to support, and we continue to celebrate the growth and obedience that we see in Mark. Mark has led in reading scripture, doing service and leading and serving communion and being an ambassador for Christ in our community. In March of 2018, the elders of Fellowship Bible Church prayed over and sent out 70 people, some of which were coming from the High Highcrest community. And what have we seen God do in one year? Well, the High Highcrest campus now averages 300 people on campus each Sunday. We've seen 123 people complete Rooted. We have 135 adults and teens in small groups. And over half of the adults and teens who attend our campus on a weekly basis serve in some ongoing ministry role. We've seen families reconciled. We've seen marriages reunited. And we've had 41 baptisms. It's okay to celebrate. (laughs) Sent our non-religious community development nonprofit has five employees. It led a summer stream program, which is now developed into an after-school program. It owns five properties. It's still on the path of creating its own construction company and launching more entrepreneurs out of the community. It is in the process of building its first concept home in the community. We're talking about a $1,000 property that's going to be replaced with a $100,000 property in our community. And it has now provided space where Christ first can now provide emotional and mental resources for those in our community. But even more than the numbers, it's the stories. Because transformed people who have lived transformed lives, transformed places, and leave godly legacies as a result. So we track numbers, but we value people and their stories. It's the stories of friends and neighbors walking in on a Wednesday night and saying that they were just about to give up and that this was their last stop. But they came here on this Wednesday night to the to the Avondale East High Crest campus because this has become the place in the community that has become known as a place of hope and acceptance. And then seeing rooted groups. Um, lay hands and pray over this couple and develop a care plan to continue walking beside them with no pastoral input. It's seeing our teens be a part of developing a teen room uh, and a teen center, a place of their own in the community. It's hearing the multiple stories of people who were about to give up on life and now find new life in Christ and in his bride. It's seeing people who never had any intentions of ever being a part of another church now call Fellowship High Christ their home and bring others along with them. <laughs> it's seeing diverse faces from all types of backgrounds and careers and and take on different roles during service, especially those that have an immediate Fear of public speaking, do things like read scripture and lead communion and, and all types of things in the midst of our Sunday services. But this is only the beginning. And we've had our fair share of heartaches and trials and struggles along the way. We don't have all the answers to all the problems that we face. But we've stayed faithful to the call. We're excited about our future. And we welcome your prayers. We would love to share with you more ways that you can be involved with what God is doing through Fellowship Bible Church and Scent as he continues to transform the high Chris community.
0: See up community. Hey, would you stand with us as we close in prayer? Next service, the 11 o'clock service, Jonathan and I are going down to the High Crest uh, campus, and we're going to preach down there, and it's going to be broadcast here for the 11 o'clock service. So we're excited to do that and, and party with our High Crest yes. family there too. So, And we're going to have a party after. Please have some birthday cake on your way out. But you know, none of this would have happened if Jesus wouldn't have moved in some of your hearts. To move from first to last, from the desire to be served to serve, and from that whole concept of, of not getting, but giving. That's how this happens. And so thank you as a church. It's, it's a joy to be a pastor here and see God work in you. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for each person in this room, what you're doing. Thank you for Jonathan his wonderful leadership, our friendship, our brotherhood. Lord, keep us unified as a church. Keep Jesus the most important thing, and Lord, may we follow him this week as we look forward to Resurrection Sunday next weekend. Prepare our hearts, help us to step down from ourselves to lift up Jesus. May his name be glorified in us and in the church. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let the party begin.